0: Hello and welcome to BB On The Record, this podcast from British Bandsmen. I'm Mark Good, editor of British Bandsmen, and in this episode I hear from one of the iconic figures in the brass band world, Dick the Stick, Richard Evans, as he continues to promote his book Richard Evans Still Beating. The celebrated conductor reflects on a life in brass bands from contest successes like his first British Open win 45 years ago, to his love of brass in concert, and those swagger-filled marches. Richard also looks back on his long association with the National Youth Brass Band of Scotland, and discusses how banding opened his eyes to travelling the world. But first, what has he made of a year like no other?
1: We want to get rid of 2020, I think, and let's start a new one in uh, 2021. So there's hope on the horizon, I think, but uh, I can't see a great deal of the fact that bands will be getting together in the near future. I think it could be well into the uh, spring before we get together, all of us. Unbelievable. I think that, the well, apart from the, uh, we did a virtual thanks to David Childs and, and the way he managed it, and wonderful, organized it. It was a virtual brass band summer school. Which was successful. Although it's rather strange when I was, I borrowed Leyland Bannerman because they weren't being there to be filmed, and I'm conducting CDs with nothing there, there's nothing in front of me. So that was strange. But before that, the last time I'd worked was in uh, March. You had know, one or two Zoom meetings and some, some Zoom uh, quizzes, but I stopped doing those. And Pam and I did them sometimes. We were always last or next to last. But, <laughs> so we gave up on it. Yeah, we we're, we're not we're winners, not losers. So, yeah, and but being serious about it, it does concern me the fact that a lot of people put comments in in magazines and things and said I've not really missed it, and that frightens me.
0: I think that has been a comment that has come up from time to time, and we've also seen it applying to other walks of life, other industries. Football, for example, where they're concerned about getting the fans back, will they come back or will they have found other things to do? Do you think there's an element then that bands have to work as hard as they can to make their band rooms, to make their rehearsals as welcoming as possible for people?
1: I'm definitely on your side there, Mark. Yes, it's either a committee or the man in the middle or the lady in the middle. Many times over the years in my career, people have said, oh I can't, I don't seem to be able to form a, a youth band and then and yet you go to some bands like remember Linda Nicholson and St uh, Helens and most just loads of these people who are great leaders and you can make it work. The worrying thing is you've got to be buzzing, buzzing, buzzing. I've done quite a few, things. I can name you bands and the person in the middle and they'll never fail, they'll always be there so the person in the middle and you need to have a good leader but the funny part i was just talking briefly there about committees my wonderful mentor hm harry mortimer said richard with a ban, the best committee is a committee of three one's dead and the other seriously ill (laughs) 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 And and in in a way you you if you when you think about that it's, it's true
0: I'm sure you've worked with some interesting committees uh, down the years. And talking of that, I hope I'm not overstepping the mark. When I say that you are at the more experienced stage of your conducting career and you can reflect on so many successes on the contest and the concert platform, of course, lots of those are contained in your very interesting book, Richard Evans' Still Beating. Now it's been out for a little while now, but of course we're approaching the festive period and it could just make the perfect Christmas gift for somebody. At what point did you decide that you wanted to bring all these memories together with a wider audience and write the book?
1: Well, I think the realistic answer to that was before my my memory went. (laughs) (laughs) Because because Pam, Pam, my lovely partner, she said, uh, the crazy thing about you, she said, you, you can remember everything 50 years ago, but you can't remember what you did the day before. And I just started to write for my own sake, oh, many years ago now. And I wrote for about six years in India. And when, when I got with Pam, Pam said, let's publish it. So we published it and it was called then Dick the Stick. And then, so I I carried on writing and this is the, the end product. So it starts off Dick the Stick, you get that. Because a lot of people, they couldn't, it, it went and they couldn't, they went to Amazon and they couldn't, you can't get one of those Dick the Sticks anymore. So anyway, so that's in there and I can still talk in the past. So, I mean, some old, old bandsmen at of, of my age and that, we talk about the past when we had a band, you know. <laughs> and my dear, dear friend, Jeff Whitting, who sadly is no longer with us, and, and Maurice Murphy, we were like three musketeers in Dyke. Jeff always used to say, they can't play like we used to play, you know. And I said, Jeff, I, some of the music they're playing today, I couldn't even read it. So it's that. He said, I'm not talking about that. I said, it's making music. And the more I listen to bands in the past, really, he's got a point, you know. But I, I don't want to live in the past, but some of the recordings. I've heard some old recordings of phones in the 30s, on like crack, crackly seventy, 70, 70 60, 78, 60s, 78s, not they? And the playing is imm- immaculate. I just a not you know. Okay? People say, "Oh, you don't. You're stopping progress. Let some of these conduct uh, the composers write, which we do, of course." Uh, the, I'm on the music panel, and we chose last year we chose four people to, to write brand new pieces, and they were they were successful. But the main reason why we haven't picked too much of that because the quality isn't there.
0: As you look back upon some of your own successes uh, and some of your successful partnerships with so many bands down the years, Wingate, Leyland, in Scotland, Dalmellington of course, there was Grimthorpe, Brighouse and others, are you able to pick out one from those, or perhaps a different one, a band and an era when everything just felt right, when it felt like you and the band could do
1: no wrong together? We're talking about competitions. Competitions, you have to have luck as well uh, as good playing. And I know for a fact that the sponsorship, we got BNFL. That was a very, very good sponsorship. We had five years with quite a big sponsorship amount of money. We had just got them at the beginning of 1992. And the piece was Cambridge Variations. Yeah, the the one good thing, I, I said to the band manager, well, what hotel he said i can't get a hotel there so he got in touch with um bnfl and we finished up staying in the best hotel in, in cambridge you know and and welcome bnfl band and for this is your welcoming dinner we had, we had a wonderful dinner that evening so we went off to rehearse and keep this to yourself but we couldn't play it there, there was parts of the piece we could not play really bits and pieces and i thought oh no no And we were working till half past 11 at night. In the end, I said, Come on, let's go to bed now. We've done enough. And on the day, I think we drew number 11. I brought the stick down because in the opening bars, there's a court in the front row corners play fives and sixes together. It's like filigree, it's it's wonderful music, you know. And I brought the stick down, and Mark Harewood was playing number four on the front row. <clears throat> he hadn't anything to do in that opening bars, and as I brought the stick down, it was like a different band, completely different band. And I looked at him, and he looked at me, and our eyes were wide open. And I thought, "Wow, it's never sounded like that before." And that was it. Carried on like that, right? Through, and we had uh, Gary Lord on flute. That he just joined the band, and he was absolutely immaculate. He was wonderful, and it went on. There were there were no mistakes in it. In fact, when it came, we chose it for the uh, area piece. Not not all that long, about four years ago or something like that, maybe. And I thought, right, I'll, uh, I've got the CD of the performance. And I put it, Pam had gone having a nails zone. I put it on the CD player here and I put it up very loud. And halfway through it, I started to cry. I did not know that BNFL band could play as good as that. And that that is my outstanding performance in my of my year all right i loved winning uh, the open with the uh, with both bnfl and wingate in 75 fireworks and and it was immaculate and uh, we used to i used to be the, uh, the course teacher at the BA course in band studies at Accrington, validated by sheffield university we did that for 14 years and james scott came to give a lecture on judging and things like that And one of the students said, Mr Scott, what's the best uh, performance you've ever judged? And he said immediately, BNFL, Cambridge variation, 1992.
0: Clearly one which rightly so stays very fondly in your mind. Now you just touched a moment ago on what is rather a significant anniversary this year because it is 45 years since you won the British Open for the first time. And yes, that came with Wingate. Does it feel like 45 years?
1: No, I feel more actually. I'd played in the Open under Harold Mott and Leyland, because I used to play on the front row at Leyland Motors Band then. I'd got the job at Wingate and I'd uh, been working away with them, uh, off with them, rehearsing programme music. And um, Derek Chappell, the band manager, came in one day and said, oh, I've got the music for the Open. It's called Fireworks, you know, and of course, none of us had seen it I looked at him the first two bars were pretty good they were semi-breed bam bam and then it went five eight seven eight oh and oh and i thought whoa i can't do this i was i was about 40 years old then yeah and he said well let's run through it somebody said i said i can't run through this I, you know it's i can't and I, I when i teach conducting i said never sight read anything in front of a band go home and study it first and uh, so we, act, we went through it bit by bit. And, and I said, well, gentlemen, because there were no ladies in the band then. Well, gentlemen, I said, it's very hard this, so we're going to have to do lots and lots of sectional rehearsals because it was the young person's guide to the brass band kind of thing, wasn't it? And so I, the tubers had to be, the section, most of the sections. We have seven sectional rehearsals on it. You know, really, we, they worked their socks off. I mean, I didn't know anything, but just work hard. That's what work up. And so I said, "Right off, off we go." On the day of the contest, and we went to. At that time, I mean, there's all houses there now at Bellevue. There was uh, the long side entrance. You could come in from the long side part of Manchester. Come in that way, and there was a long side hotel, a pub, and we got the rehearsal room above the pub in the first on the first floor so somebody came in and said right we've um, we've drawn number 22 out of 23 and i thought blimey so i said okay i'll tell you what we'll do we'll just do a little bit now and then we'll go and have a listen we'll listen to them and we'll get back here for one o'clock because i knew it would be late and we went in and we came back at one o'clock and they all have big cheshire like cheshire cats with grins on their faces hey mr Evans, they can't play it can they and that, and that that was it, Mark. They obviously, bands did not realise how difficult it was, and it was difficult. I'm not saying the performance that we did was marvellous, marvelous, but it, I've talked a lot with the the, the wonderful man uh, Elgar Howard, because Elgar Howard and I are very good friends, and he said, Richard, you know that fireworks put me on the on the map, and it puts you on the map as well.
0: When you say that and you, you talk about those comments of perhaps putting yourself on the map in some way, how significant was that? Because we know the British Open was and it still is right up there at the very pinnacle of oh, yeah. contesting. So, yeah. how proud were you to, to be able well, to secure that?
1: Well, I was standing, bless him, not with Charlie Southernwood. He was the man at Wingate. And we were standing together when the results came out. And it went six, five, four. Three and, and he said two, I think fairies were second. And he said, uh, and and I said, oh, yo Charlie. He said, what do you mean, lad? What do you mean? I said, well, the big guys haven't been mentioned, and we nail that. He says we won this today, <laughs> and of course that was true. And it was like walking walking on water, honestly. In fact, I, I had a fancy shirt on because yeah, I was relaxing shirt, different patterns on it, and I got talking to so many people because. In those days, around about that time, 1975, and the band had to go back on the stage and play a bit, a broadcast, a half hour broadcast, which we got one lined up. And I looked up, I was talking, and the band was sitting all with the uniform back on, sitting ready for me. My, my dad was very, very poorly at the time. And uh, we played that for my dad. For, well, I did, I played that for my dad. It was like a prayer going up. Yeah, it was, it was unbelievable. And the thing was, I had the shield there, and we took it home, obviously, and not realising the true value of that shield, I slept, we slept with it under the bed, yeah. And when we found out, we took it to the bank, yeah, yeah.
0: Another contest you really have seemed to enjoy has been Brass Concert, where you've had lots of success. You really seem to have had the measure of this contest and you can often pick a programme that would find favour with the adjudicators, but also with the audience in the hall. Was there something that really appealed to you about Brass and Concert?
1: It was a while before Cyril Beer let us in, but we we actually, I think we were won the area in 81 and then he let us in and we won the North West area or something like that. And I, said, I rang him and said, can we come? oh yeah, you can come now, you can come now. And what it was, Mark, I've done a lot of concerts and a lot, a lot of work with bands up in the northeast, And I, I think they're just like the Northwest and, and Yorkshire and, and Wales. They're, they're happy people and they're good, normal people and they know what they like. And I aimed it at the audience. I've always aimed it at the audience. I, I'm not playing for ju- judges or things like that. Interesting recently, I, I, they have me judging the entertainment part of it. Two of us were entertainment judges. And it was, the year, it was about three years ago when Eikanger uh, Boswick came. About three three months before that, Pam and I had been over, because I, I I was in the army in Berlin, you know, in 1956, and I wanted to take her back there. And so so we had went to the concert of the Berlin Philharmonic. And I wrote, when they came on Eikanger, they looked like a totally professional band. They really do look smart. I'm judging the entertainment, you see. So, and I wrote on their sheet, well, you've obviously not come to entertain the audience, but, and I put I put in, Pam and I were listening to Berlin Philharmonic, not longer were in Berlin, and you sounded just like them, which was a big compliment to them. So, and they were, they were marvelous, but, and you can imagine, see, Normal guy in the audience, like, what, what are they playing, you know. That's why I, I always aimed at a good opener, bang, and then something quiet, and then obviously and, and a great finale, and a little bit of humor. But, but humor in music is very dangerous because it can sound like a, a poor church social, you know, and it's not right.
0: As far as your own programs at Brass and Concert go, it wouldn't be uncommon to find a march included at some point. You find this groove in marches that we don't often hear. It includes just easing off the tempo a little bit. Was that a formula you always used, or did that come to you over time?
1: All my family were soldiers, you know. And I did my national service. I only did two years, but uh, I was offered, when I was a a national serviceman, the the director of music in the band said, Evans. If you sign on for nine years, I'll send you down to Nella Hall as a pupil. You'll learn your cornet trumpet. And three years later, I'll send you down as a student bandmaster. That was a heck of a good offer, you know. Sometimes I wish I'd entertain it, but I went home. and My dad was feeling a bit bitter about the army because he loved the army, but he was he uh, was medically unfit when he came back from India. Uh, I think it might have had something he had um, rheumatics, something in his leg wasn't good. But he had emphysema, coupled with the fact he smoked 40 caps in full strength every day. I think that has something to do with it. But so he was feeling a bit, when I asked him, he said, No, 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 come out, come out, don't. And so I'm not blaming him, but that would have been good. So coming back to the marches, when I've been working with other bands, I remember walking out one day and this fellow in the audience came up to me and said, I'm disappointed with you today. And I said, Why? He said, You've not put a march on your program. And then another guy would come up to me, I like the way you play your marches. And I said, Why? I can march to them, you know. And it's true, though. I I love a swagger march. If you won the march, you got 500 pounds. The band did. And all of a sudden, they they said, "Uh, No longer will we have a march contest. So I rang Kenny and I said, Kenny, oh, what's this? I said, Are you fed up with me winning? You know. And he said, Well, he said, Yeah. Fans put the put the program together, and I said, "You, I'll tell him. No, you have not got a march. No, Evans wins it every year. So, but uh, I want it for 15 times. I won it. Yeah.
0: And it's with a march in mind that we now arrive at your piece of the podcast. So, uh, Richard, if you would be so kind, can you reveal all? What are we going to listen to?
1: <laughs> You're going to listen to that wonderful swagger march by Arby Hall, The New Colonial. <laughs>
0: sound of Grimthorpe Colliery Band, performing the new Colonial March music by R.B. Hall. That was the piece of the podcast as chosen by my guest today, and the conductor in that recording, Richard Evans. Now Richard, as well as contesting bands, you've enjoyed lengthy partnerships with organisations like the National Youth Brass Band of Scotland, and after serving as musical director for many years, you returned in an emeritus position. For much of your time at NIBS, the course director was Neil Cross. And I can speak from personal experience in saying that you both seemed to have a very successful relationship. And there were tours and recordings and, of course, those wonderful years at St Andrews. How fondly do you look back upon that time?
1: Oh, wonderful. Yeah, wonderful, wonderful. Uh, What a man. And everything was done so well with him really i miss him so much but well, we are still pals and we, we meet each other quite a few times but yeah i don't know that there was something we had about that it was very very special I, I mean i i was at one time the chairman of the national youth bass band of great britain on the on the council i was an inaugural member in 1952 in uh, it was in bradford then and the, the same year in the august uh, i was the leader of the because Morris Murphy didn't come so and HM was that's when I first met uh, Harry Morton and uh, after that it was Morris and me and, Ma- and that was good but it hadn't got the spirit that we've always had a spirit that did you know that because you you've been there haven't you yeah, yeah there's something special I remember <laughs> we were Pam and I went to Singapore on our way to Australia working with bands and we we're walking around uh, the um raffles hotel in, in in singapore and somebody said hello mr evans and, and Pam said good gracious this somebody knows you over there and he said this man said you don't know me but my daughter played with you in, in at nibs st Andrews and all over the world and this is this is because when i started in the 1952 in the youth band of great britain that changed my life it honestly changed my life i'd never known I only had it was a Leyland British Legion band. It was like a poor four-section band, and I never, I didn't know it. That was the only band I knew. And then I'm sitting in in the same band as Maurice Murphy, and only, and I'm thinking, blimey! And of course, my our lifelong friendship started there. Morris and I, he's a godfather of my uh, daughter. It's friendships that you'll never lose. Brian Brian Clark was a very good cornet player, and. Uh, we were down in South Wales. I think it was Ogmore by the sea. That's where we would had that course that that time. And uh, we were on the beach because we were all going swimming on the beach. And uh, and when we came back, we've got to get changed. You see, you got to get your clothes back on. And there was about five or six of us chased him all around the beach and he, all he had was his little vest on. <laughs> and, he, and he was trying to hide his thing. Yeah and things like that, and we talk about that, and we're still close friends.
0: Part of the experience is, as you touched on earlier, getting something from the National Youth Band Experiences, whichever band it is, that you just wouldn't get at home in your own band, musically, culturally, socially. Did you have that in the back of your mind when you were organising the programmes and and laying out the week?
1: Neil and I would sit a long time, and I was following a great tradition from a great man Jeffrey Brand, who'd had the band for 21 years. And it's amazing the number of uh, commissions he he had done for him. They were wonderful. But people were saying, which, and and this is no criticism from anybody, but said, oh, we do the concert uh, and there's more people on the stage than there is in the audience because the music is not for the general public, if you may, but it's teaching the band. And I was very proud of the music I picked. Uh, I mean, it wasn't all easy, easy stuff. He started making a profit out of the, uh, yeah. So what's wrong with that? Nothing. In fact, uh, somebody, somebody has just bought a book from me, and they said, we 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 still miss those lovely times in the William Younger Hall at St Andrews when they had lovely concerts. Yeah. And if you remember, I brought some very famous people: Peter Parks, conductor the band, Arthur Butterworth, Geoffrey Brand players in the band were learning from very, very famous people they were.
0: As you say, there were regularly guests coming in to perhaps work with the band or share their wisdom and experience. And I recall one year, one of the guests was a certain Morris Murphy, and it was fascinating to hear firsthand from a real brass playing legend. How delighted were you to bring Morris to NIBS, but also how special was that friendship that you shared?
1: Well, about the friendship, it, it's the best friendship I've ever had in my life. I lived at their house, his mum and dad's house, in Shipley. And, and when I passed my audition in, uh, in Black Dyke, he, he, he came we went, back to his house and he said, uh, Mum, Dick's got in the band. And she said, where is he going to live? <laughs> and Morris just said, he's going to live here. <laughs> he hadn't even spoken to his mother about this. <laughs> So she said, "Well, we've only got a terrace. We've a two up and two down house. He'll have to sleep with me then." <laughs> and we both—we are twenty-two years old—and we both for two years we slept in this three-quarter bed. I adored him, and he was—and he was so helpful. But he, he didn't practice. And I'd come home from work because I worked on the newspaper, and he was up in the mill. And and I'd say, "Yeah, uh, hey, Can we go in the front room and have a?" No, he said, let's go to the pictures. Yeah. yeah, so he didn't practice. But then later, when he was at the LSO, and of course, Jeff Whitton was coming. He came with him as well. I picked him up at the airport, <clears throat> and I, I opened the boot of the, my car, and I brought my trumpet up, you see. So I, and he said, what's that? <laughs> and I said, well, do you know what it is? I'm not playing that, he said. I'm not playing. Okay. I said, all right, no, no, all right. And like you said, he came up, and they were fascinated with both of them. Jeff started talking about breathing, and then Morris and the, the kids were wanting to say, "Play Morris, play Morris." But you, it wasn't. But I sneaked it in. I sneaked it in. I said, uh, "The mass were full mass man," and said, uh, "Just have a play on the front row with you," because we did. We did have a clash, me and well Neil as well, with Sabba's committee with the president and there was four people wanted to change the whole running of the band. Um, uh, silly. I'm not going to name them because, but what they wanted to do and the kids picked up the you mentioned something about the, the wonderful camaraderie in the band. Well, people love being in, in the Nibs, you know, I'm in Nibs. I'm in Nibs. I mean, you could children's band, reserve band, Nib. I'm in big Nibs now. And that was something, special they wanted to re, they wanted to reduce the band to a normal size band and they, i've seen all the paperwork. work because when the kids found out a lot of them said mr evans is it right we've got to audition for a place and as it went down to 30 i said i, I that's what's being promote, you know, proposed and that's when i really fell out with him I, I, I said yeah, i can't do it. i can't tell the, these all these lovely players that uh, it's going to be reduced because quite a lot of the players in nibs at that time played in the big band like whitburn the co-op kirky so Miss Evans. every week we go to a band twice a week with 30 players in it but when we nibs it's like 80 of us we love it so they were fed up in fact it went so that's when i resigned and uh, but happily we got it right
0: You've touched on some of your treasured memories and then laterally there, one of the more regrettable times perhaps for you. When it came to writing the book, were there some moments that were a bit more difficult to write?
1: Yes, in fact, I was at the open not long ago, sitting behind uh, Peter Graham. In fact, he'd written the piece. And he looked round, because I I didn't realise that was his daughter that was sitting next to me here. He said, Oh, sure, how are you? I said, Fine. He said, I've just finished reading your book. He said, It's a cracking read. I, have you got a lawyer? He said, <laughs> I said, Well, he said, You've got very near the knuckle in places there. But I did. It, it's no use saying that this didn't happen, but it did happen. May have maybe been a bit cruel with one or two people, but I was being honest. I was saying things that. That hurt me at the time. And on a completely different
0: note, something else that really stands out for anyone reading the book is the fact that you clearly enjoy getting on your travels. You and Pam are no strangers to hopping on a plane, whether it's for work or pleasure. Did banding generally, did that play a part in widening your horizons and giving you a thirst for travel?
1: Yes, yes, it did. Uh, the nice thing, I was invited at one of the so so exciting bands is the Bass Band Battle Creek in Michigan. Whoa! I mean, they're all professional trumpets and trombones. Wonderful band, absolutely mar- marvellous. And I remember uh, the two brothers, Bill Gray and Jim Gray, they ran the band. They were both foot foot doctors. They put a band together, for a 14-piece group together, to play in Phoenix, Arizona. Now, Phoenix, Arizona, it's where a lot of the older Americans go there to retire because it's sunny all the time. And they've got a, a big, they have a big, uh, they call it the Sun Dome, I think it is, 7,000 people undercover. The band was, I can't remember them all now, but they were super, superstars. My two, my four trumpet players, were. I've got two straight men, Morris Murphy, and Tim Morrison, that he, he does all the uh, John Williams stuff in America. Morris does all the John Williams in England. Rex Rex Richardson, and uh, another two jazzers and two straight men. Uh, Sam Pilafin is up there now. Never heard an E flat bass player play like that. A little bit beaten up, battered too, but it, When we did a, a, a show, a television show, uh, for like seven o'clock in the morning. It was uh, like jingle bells, swing jingle bells thing. When you it was going like on the E flat bass. Fabulous. And the, the kick drummer, Dave Raticek, and we were driving up to the rehearsal one day and I said, are you busy, Dave? And he said, and once a month I have, to have a little quartet and we have to play at the White House. <laughs> you know, these are these are real pros. And this is why they the the travel came into it and on the continent oh, in fact they did 10 years with Très Twelve once once when i went to Très Twelve the first time oh, No, i was judging in uh, Sion up in the mountain up in the mountains and they said oh by the way when you've done the judging the solomon quartet contest when you've done the judging there's a little gala concert and E Twelve will play and we want you to conduct two pieces so I said, yeah, okay. And it was Force of Destiny and a Folk Festival. I went to and I still in front of this band because French speaking. And uh, I should have I was lazy at French, and it went da 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 said, no, no. And I'm here and there Jeo Pierre, yeah. Morale. Well he was sitting behind me against the wall. And this home player, as soon as I said this to him, this home player went, look past me at jail to see if jail went would go yes or no. And this went on for a long time and I thought, I thought, I don't want to be here. I wasn't happy at all. Two weeks later, I got a letter from him, will you come and train the band? <laughs> yeah, and it lasted 10 years, that.
0: Wow, and of course, another country with which you've enjoyed a very special relationship down the years is Japan. You've enjoyed so many trips out there and you took Nibs out there in 2008. Yep. How much have you enjoyed going out to that country and watching its brass band world
1: evolve? Very, very, very much. And it all started, you know, at fairies. Alan Lawton, the band manager said, there's uh, 14 players from Tokyo Brass Society coming they can't speak English but they've got an interpreter and the 14 of them came into the band and we were rehearsing about, and then they're all standing around the band and then this lady came up and said they want to know can they record this and that's the amazing thing and I said yeah <laughs> and amazing some of them had a tripod tripod up their legs and the, you know, and the cameras everything, there's lights going on they were lovely lovely people and so I said yeah So they loved it. And their boss, of course, was Takio Yamamoto. And uh, he was a trumpet player in Tokyo. And then he gave this music to this girl. And she said, oh, Professor Yamamoto wants the band to have this. It was a score and parts of Wara Buta. It was a selection of Japanese children's song arranged for brass band. I turned to him and offered him the baton. He said, no, no. And I said, yeah, you conduct it, you know. And that, we've we've been friends for life since then. And he invited me over. He wrote, we used to write to each other. He wrote, he said, you must come to Japan before you die. (laughs) You know, I got in touch with him and I said, look, my wife and I have got air tickets, but we didn't realise how expensive they are. All right, we can do that. But we can't afford a hotel. We'll have to stay with you. And he sent back he said, Japanese houses are very small, but still keep coming. And what what he'd done? We were there for three weeks, and what he'd done? He'd hired me out to these people. Yeah, the, the only trouble is Mark with that. When you've been three days with these group of people and they're looking after you, you're so tired, and they're tired. They go back. They go back home and sleep, and then you're passed on to somebody else who's looking forward to seeing you. We were absolutely and so the last day of the three weeks. I'd finished, what nothing else to do. I knew we were flying home the day after, and they took us to an Apollo, an Apollo mission thing with a big rocket there. You know they love the Americans like that, and with uh, a great big thing. And they said um, they sent me and sat me down, and there were like little like usherette girls with little hats and things. And we looked down. It was a big stadium like a football stadium, and there was a a kids band, an elementary school band. They'd just come back from Arizona and so I, I didn't mind so i sat there, and i was sleeping actually and this little lady just touched me on the shoulder. And said, uh, evans you must stand now they are talking about you so and so i stood up the clap and then i sat down oh no no she said you've got to go and conduct the band so and i what, what? and I, this i thought honestly mark i thought this is where i'm gonna die so i got up to this band and the conductor, and they're all these fancy hats on, cowboy hats. He gave me the baton and then cleared it off. And I'm looking at the music. It's all in. It's a massive score, all in uh, pencil, no English words on it. Some funny little Japanese signs on it. And I'm thinking, I, I don't know what to do. And a voice in the band said, "It's all in two four. Just keep going. Watch me." I'm in the clarinets And, and I looked at and this man with a smaller chair. He's got this hat on and he look, looks like one of the kids, you know. He said, and he winked at me. So, and I just it went right through and, and he, I just tell you when you're stopping. And went, so I got away with it. And I, oh, wow. Richard, as we
0: approach the end of our chat today, let's err on the side of optimism, shall we? Uh, Yes, there are some limited band activities taking place right now, but I think we're all looking forward to the day when banding, as we've come to know it, can really resume in earnest. Will you be itching to get back into the band hall as soon as it's safe to do
1: so? Oh, yes. Yes, very much so. I'm... I'm Got, I've got Trinity Girls Band now, you know. It's well, Trinity Mature Ladies Band, it really is, and they're lovely. In fact, we did we did a, a Zoom quiz last night, Jeff, and uh, I was third, which wasn't bad, that you know. <laughs> but yeah, they're missing it, and I'm missing it. I just go on, on a Monday and a, and a Wednesday, and when I go home, when I get home, Pam said you're buzzing, and I said, well, they make me buzz, a girl. So, yeah, let's let's be happy and let's be optimistic.
0: That's it for this episode of BB on the Record. Thank you to Richard Evans and thanks to you for listening. Richard Evans Still Beating is available to buy at a cost of £15. That includes postage and packaging. Simply email richardevans1934 at gmail.com. That's richardevans1934 at gmail.com. You can enjoy a digital subscription to British Bandsman. It costs just £42.99 for one year. Go to BritishBandsman.com and click on subscribe. Do get in touch about anything you might have heard on the podcast. You can email info at BritishBandsman.com. That's info at BritishBandsman.com. As for this podcast, you can find it on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts and Spotify. Join me next time on BB On The Record. Bye for now.